0: This is an Irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host Blake Chastain. My guest this week is John Jones, author of the memoir, How I Escaped Evangelical Hell. In this conversation, John and I discuss his experience being homeschooled. Due to the content of this conversation, I'd like to offer a content warning. John is frank about his experiences with parental abuse and neglect, as well as moments of spiritual abuse and trauma, so please be advised. John shared some of his story on Twitter back in January, when the exposed Christian schools and exposed Christian homeschooling hashtags were trending. We go into more detail on this show. Please note that we also recorded this conversation at the tail end of January, when the temps were extremely low, so you may hear a space heater from time to time in the background. As always, you can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod, you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash exvangelical. You can also support the show by telling others about it and by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. Apple remains the top dog of podcasts, and even though there are a lot of podcast apps out there right now, many of them still consider that Apple Podcast directory the sort of canonical reference, so if you rate and review the show there, it does have a great impact for podcasters, so please do that for any show that that you appreciate, including this one. You can also follow me on Twitter at brchastain, and you can follow the show on Twitter at pod All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Evangelical. My guest this week is John Jones. He is the author of the memoir How I Escaped Evangelical Hell. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Blake, thank you so much for having you on. I've been a fan of you for, and your voice for quite a while.
0: I really appreciate that. Um, I'm really glad that we. We're able to arrange to talk right now. Um, we actually started connecting more directly through uh, sort of a, a Twitter conversation around the hashtags expose Christian schools and expose uh, Christian homeschooling, and we're going to really get to that. But before we get to that conversation that's happening online right now, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and, and where you're from and get a good sense of what, what your early life was like.
1: Sure thing. <clears throat> So uh, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and raised primarily in Oklahoma City by uh, very um, fervently believing evangelical Christians that decided that homeschooling was the way to raise the perfect godly boy without caring too much about the uh, the, the further details of it. <clears throat> um, so I, I was— so I was homeschooled for my entire life, and uh, most of my school career happened in Oklahoma City, where uh, up to the up until high school, whatever we could, whenever my parents could uh, pick up when they could afford it off of the shelves of like a Mardell, which was a Christian bookstore in the Midwest. I don't know how, how big of a chain that is. But basically, like, whatever random school books they could pick off of uh, school shelves, they would just feed to me uh, when I w- had to fill out and do as a... As a, a replacement for school, essentially. Hmm. So they didn't like secular schools. They moved away from Atlanta, Georgia, where I was born, because they uh, they thought the homosexuals were taking over. And uh, they wanted to protect me from that, because apparently I was the world's most fuckable child. I mean, like, <laughs> was that they, something that, like that was just,
0: explicitly told to you by, like... They were. They, that they a, thought a, that I'd
1: be kidnapped by by homosexuals, like out like out of the front lawn. Even as an adult, conversation, I was asking my mom about it, and they were saying, "Yeah, the the homosexuals were just taking kids off the like off the front lawn, in their and their are kidnappings." Oh my gosh! It's like it's it's no, it's it's usually family members, not like this this mythical like uh, like predatory homosexual, with giant leather wings and talons <laughs> and claws, like. <laughs> <laughs> they, the way they, the way they portrayed the outside world as being threatening was just comical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that's what what made them decide to relocate all the way to Oklahoma
1: City instead.
0: And that's where you spent the majority of your childhood.
1: That's correct. From uh, the uh, we had a family out there. My uh, my father had three other children before me, and he decided to make me the weird christian experiment uh they were all they all went to um uh, public schools they're only like 20 25 years older than me mm-hmm. and, and they're still fairly religious but they had a more normal experience growing up and was, um
0: was your father like a, a later in life conversion or did he become more fervent so to speak later uh, he, in
1: life? he got a lot more radical later in life okay so he had me when he was 45 but he um he so he was born and raised in Nebraska and then ended up in Atlanta, living there for several years where he met my mother. But uh, he was a religious studies major in college, as I understand it. And uh, over the years, he just went further and further into the the weird world of Christianity. Like starting starting in the 70s, he had this theory. Well, so he started getting into uh, speaking in tongues and glossolalia and that whole, like, shaking a baby noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so supposed to be holy. He mm-hmm. got really into that, and actually been kicked out of uh, Lutheran churches for his um, adoption and belief in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and going against their doctrines. I'm getting this like third and fourth hand, but um, he eventually got to the point that he believed he could hear the voice of God and communicate with God like an instant message back mm-hmm. and forth. But this is in the '70s and he didn't have a computer yet, and so he would literally write down his prayers and questions to God, and then write down what God told him in like a different script and a different font. Uh, Or, well, when he was using word processors, he'd switch the font, but he would basically be writing out instant message-style conversations with God, like, what should I go do today? Should I kiss my wife? What about this business deal? And he would spend anywhere from two to eight hours a day, every single day, writing out all these conversations and I inherited the storage unit full of these written notebooks of conversations. Like I, I threw away probably ten or fifteen like standard moving size boxes of handwritten notes to conversations that he believed he was having with God over the course of like fifteen or twenty years. Wow, wow!
0: So this was sort of this compulsion that he had. Um, was that Very much. was that something that? I mean, you're a child, so like when. When this was going on, like, what was your understanding of, of how he was
1: acting? Well, he, he definitely had his authoritarian tendencies and he loved them. And he also came from a background in sales. He was a life insurance salesman and fairly good at it. So he was able, he was basically able to believe in Christianity enough but leverage his sales acumen enough to believe he was still being a decent Christian while fleecing people out of their money and basically using his compliance tactics and knowledge to con people out of their money, pretending to be a spiritual advisor, pretending to set up business deals, just using weird like barter and using his religious connections Mm -hmm. to uh, keep us alive. Like he never had a real job the entire time I was alive is mooching off friends, family, and just conning people, uh, using like using God and his Jesus y credentials as his as his way in. And he just basically created this whole world where like, for me and my mother, where we believed, he made us believe just through his temper tantrums, his manipulation, his nature, that he was literally the voice of God and represented God because he put in all that time learning how to pray, like he, he loved self-improvement books. He loved all the little, the whole self-improvement industry. And part of his effort to become closer to God was him writing down all of his, all the his instant message conversations, essentially, before that was a thing with God. And over, and over time through his self-improvement kick, through his manipulation, through his just carny showmanship, he genuinely fooled himself into thinking that he got really, really good at listening to God so much that he didn't even have to really l- listen that hard anymore. Mm. He just learned how to listen, and then he start managing his family that way. Like if I wanted, if I wanted a toy, he would he'd make a big show saying, "Here, let me ask God, the arbiter of everything in the universe, to know that." Like his whole thing was, "I don't do anything, God." So I'd ask, "Can I buy this toy?" Say, let me ask God. That way there's no way you can possibly say no to the owner, the creator of the universe. Uh, no, God doesn't want you to have your toy. Mm. But what – do you dare question the voice of God from your father? Like he would just intimidate us into doing what he wanted and believing that he had just become this super amazing hotshot instantly hearing and divining the will of God mm. and monetizing and I was, and he limited my, he had me later in life and he just wasn't that interested not in have in raising uh, children. And he decided that I would be an experiment uh, in his weird, like, min-maxing, high optimization, being the best Christian kind of life. Like, what if we just homeschooled this little bastard of mine um, and didn't, expose them to anything in the world no media no television none of the homosexuals in the world at that time there was a lot of good a lot of business in creating christian curricula or christian media or or ripping off christian media or start ripping off secular media to make it christian mm-hmm. to mark up the prices to sell it to christians and so they were at that time the uh, accelerated christian education in the school of tomorrow which <laughs> except for the except for the word Christian that almost sounds like sky captain of the world of tomorrow like, <laughs> this, this, this seems like a cool thing just like education of the world of tomorrow optimize your children they're they're basically selling a prepackaged a system for creating a, you know, a subservient little Christian drone without worrying too much about the details and if you did start digging into the details then it, it the only response they really had was just like, wait, this is like, this is the Bible. This is Jesus. They just name drop God and Jesus enough to avoid scrutiny and keep brainwashing and doing what they're doing. And that, that ended up being a pattern. Like it's not that it's not that I object to Christianity in of itself or homeschooling and of itself. It's just the two of those are very, very powerful tools for controlling information, controlling access to people, and doing it in a way that is very awkward (laughs) to question without someone trying to make it seem like you're attacking their self and their religion. Mm, mm -hmm. It's it's like like a Russian nesting doll for abuse. Yeah. For being able to keep children hidden and experiment on them, do what you want.
0: Yeah. It's –
1: It was weird. Gradually becoming more conscious of that, and because my media was so controlled, I didn't really know what he was or who he was. I believe he told me when I asked him what his job was when I was maybe seven or eight years old. He told me he was a billionaire. Really, a billionaire? Because over the years, he'd convinced himself through my uh, my analogy for it is uh, through huffing his own farts. Uh, Through typing what he thinks God is telling him back to himself every day for, at this point, 20 or 30 years, your your, your brain is pudding, but you believe it so much, you can force that kind of intimidation and uh, intimidate people into buying into that sort of belief system. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't know any better, because I couldn't, because he didn't want me to, I... I I viewed him as an unassailable voice and the the billionaire thing over these years of turning into just a a man with a head full of mush that was also a huge dick um, he convinced himself that every day he put in a solid eight hours writing down what the voices what the voices in his head were telling him to do if he would make exactly a 57 million dollars not one penny more not one penny less daily rate 57 million dollars and that went into a special heavenly bank account accessible to him and him alone, but only, only if he is faithful enough, a servant. So he had us convinced that he was doing such important work, jerking off to porn in his locked bedroom. When he was supposed to be talking to God, which I caught him doing. And there's a, there's a funny bit in the book about it where I found the cookies from his, uh, pornography use after he, uh, after he told me that my bike got stolen because I touched myself at night, story for later. But um, he <laughs> he built up this whole concept of this heavenly bank account that he can access someday. And he would actually, with his experience in sales and manipulation and just name dropping God often enough till people just stop questioning his intentions and motives, he would actually convince multiple realtors to take him around to multi-million dollar mansions around Oklahoma because we lived in a 500 square foot apartment that we were in constant risk of getting evicted from cuz he would not take a normal job or work mm. but he would take us around all these multimillion dollar mansions and tell us we're going to live there you're going to have a was fixated on private jets private planes and having a mercedes or a cadillac of a different color for every day of the week to drive like he got real into the prosperity gospel stuff, like Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar. Yeah. Was, is there any more in "Hi, I'm an asshole" name than Creflo Dollar? <laughs> 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 he, he's pretty clear about what he's about. Yeah. But um, my dad would send our rent money to these fuckers. Um, we would. I remember hiding from from um, the department management, trying to come and evict us pounding on our door, just hiding inside the lights off, waiting for them to leave. Cause my dad would send seed money to Kenneth Copeland so they can go kill elephants in their private jets. Cause my dad thought that would get him his one day.
0: Mm.
1: He's 100% bought into the, like all the uh, Jim Baker. He had a story where he was uh, with my family. He was trying to brag about being a big businessman before my family refused to speak to him ever again. Um, he bragged about giving a million dollars to Jim Baker like this is before <laughs> this is before he went to prison and was disgraced yeah um, uh, before his comeback yeah, before his apocalypse buckets <laughs> <laughs> it's like the I mean it, it, it's like like a, he's selling apocalypse food bags because Democrats and abortion I can't remember <laughs> <Yeah>. his thing <laughs> some combination
0: of those two things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like it's uh, it's like one of those things. Um, just like you know, pick a word from column, like column A, column B, column C. Yeah, <laughs> like like Christian Mad Libs. It's like, <laughs> like 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 liberal babies are wearing pussy hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, frankly, that's like most of my family's Facebook.
0: <laughs> oh, there's a lo- there's a lot of truth there. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So, so yeah, you're, you're growing up in this really abusive environment. Um, and you sort of, you detail this in your book as well, talking about all these different compulsions and these, these thought patterns that your, your, your father would, would be subject to, and that he would be irresponsible with money. Uh, he would control you, um, manipulate your emotions in really abusive ways, um, Part of what you what you talk about throughout the book is that is that you do have a a connection to the outside world that is limited. Um, one of the things you talk about is like social interactions with other kids. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and how you were how you were raised and and how you were able to make friends or have trouble making friends
1: certainly that was um, that was one of the more odious marks that homeschooling's left on me over the years. The the lack of social interaction. They they believe they didn't care enough about my well being to second guess the thought, the idea that they just never need to expose me to any anyone that's secular or anything that they don't agree with. They for a while, like my parents sort of unstated quasi-stated goal was to prevent me from making the mistakes that they had in their life, and what they considered their one of their greatest mistakes is not running absolutely everything they do, think, say, feel, or think about feeling by God first mm-hmm. without understanding that you need some degree of life experience to understand like why someone might need a God or why someone might convert. They just wanted to spare me what they thought was their pain of coming to salvation by just removing those choices for me entirely and teaching me the right thing uh, without context, without knowing, without knowledge of without knowledge, uh, without knowledge of the, uh, the, the tree of good and evil. Um, it's they believed that anything that was not explicitly out and out, like super Christian, super godly, it was evil. and, they, um, before moving to Oklahoma, which is where the real isolation began, I didn't really, I had like a handful of friends in the neighborhood. I was like up to like six years old or whatever. They wouldn't let me go very far. They wouldn't, they had limited my interaction and they, even down to the point where this is actually where I first started realizing that I was different in a bad way. Um, uh, sadly a recurring theme, um, Toys were a big thing. Just like having like toys and media and television shows or things like certain things in common. Mm -hmm. I didn't I was uh, like Ninja Turtles were like just the thing at the time. They were they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. Every kid had them. Every kid knew about them. Like uh, when we'd go to like Target or Walmart or or wherever, there'd be like Ninja Turtles cereal, Ninja Turtles toys, everything. So they didn't like that the Ninja Turtles were not Christian. They told me that um, that apparently I watched Ninja Turtles and I like I I hit a kid once, and they decided to stop making me less stop letting me watch it forever. At which point, all the kids in the neighborhood refused to speak to me mm-hmm. because I didn't I didn't know Ninja Turtles and I couldn't, and I I was the weird one. Like what? You're not allowed to play, you dummy. What? Like I'm not playing with you. So I I was begging my parents just to. I didn't, I didn't understand the religion aspect of it. It's just like, you won't let me play with turtles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they, eventually they allowed me uh, conditional ownership after a lot of begging, but the, uh, the conditions of ownership were that I was not allowed to let those Ninja Turtles uh, fight ever. Every Ninja Turtle is a Christian, but in the only acceptable action between interacting between these Ninja Turtles is um, leading each other's souls to Christ and I had a little uh, a little pamphlet, a little brochure, next to me that I had to read correctly to them. Well, my parents observed my playtime, so that I would make sure not to let these Christians stop pre-saving each other. Uh, <laughs> and so they they explicitly would not fight. And of course, whenever they weren't around, they just beat the shit out of each other because it's awesome. It's right? so the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Ninjas are not pacifists. If you're like. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a pacifistic property, yeah. but that was <laughs> my first taste of finally being allowed ownership over something and being able to interact with other children. But, um, because apparently I had, I was as a five-year-old child of the world's sweetest asshole and every homosexual on the planet knew it. So they had to whisk me off to Oklahoma city where I, I guess <laughs> that isn't a problem. Um, <laughs> that's when they started isolating me more. I, I moved there the week of my seventh birthday. And uh, that's when they would uh, go to like Christian bookstores and pick up things like pick up books for me to go through. I mean, it's like Christian workbooks, like uh, like one Adam plus one Eve equals, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, yeah, they're like 20 pages long. They're absurdly bad. So that was what, that was what passed for education uh, for me for many years. They, um, I went to my brother's church for a bit. My parents weren't welcome. My, my dad had a habit of getting kicked out of churches because he kept trying to fancy himself as a as a spiritual leader. And mm-hmm. um, I, I I ended up just going to those churches alone because I, mean, I would just beg to because they didn't care enough about my welfare to send me or to involve me in a club or anything. They... Mm-hmm. There, there were a handful of – there were a handful of attempts to socialize with other kids, but it just – it was so – I've been so isolated for so long, I, I didn't know how to interact. Like when I was 9 or 10, there was a homeschool baseball league, not even enough kids for, uh, for two teams, and there was no such thing as losing. And I remember I went, um, I think I went there for a season or maybe part of a season. My dad actually was one of the coaches, but, um, uh, I remember, I remember very vividly. I, I was, I, I liked baseball. I, I collected baseball cards. I was allowed to, for some reason. It's like, it wasn't, it was like a swinging pendulum of abuse and neglect, which has come, it's taken years for me to kind of accept it as, as that. Cause First of all, I was thinking of abuse. I'm just thinking of someone just smacking the crap out of the kid or or just messing with their mind. But neglect is also a form of abuse. And I kind of I misidentified originally neglect as just a, a moral failure on my part for not trying harder mm-hmm. um, and, and having those opportunities. But they... Um, yes, I went to the, uh, the the baseball camp. I remember I... I got a single somehow I rounded the bases, uh, gradually. I remember running from a third base to home plate and apparently I skipped right over it. I was so happy to get a home run. I felt like I belong. People are laughing and waving. And apparently I, I skipped over home plate. And one of the adults walked after me on my little victory lap, just smacked me on the arm uh, and said, you're out. You skipped right over it. Like <laughs> merciless, like not, I, I, I handled it poorly. I I um I don't remember the next moment. Um, I just remember crying a lot and running back to uh, my parents' car. And then a few months later, a kid came up and knocked on the window. And uh, I I wrote up my in my book. I can't remember the exact words, but he was asking me how I was doing, and they told me that my dad sent uh, sent him over because uh, to see if I was doing better. But everyone thought I was a pussy. Oh my so, gosh! Like my one of my only first positive interactions with people my own age. And I, I blow it spectacularly. I made a fool of, and then like, it's like my face got rubbed in it. And I don't think I ever went back again. Uh, Like a handful of like, there's vacation Bible school. They sent me to once there, uh, like occasionally the church would like send us to some sort of event, but I'd have a colossal panic attack or anxiety attack. And I'd have to like stay in the bus why I wouldn't be able to go into the park. I'd just be freaking out and shaking and crying and not able to interact with other people. So I thought I was doing everything wrong. I didn't know how people worked. I knew how different and wrong I was. And even though they were Christians, I still wasn't the right kind of Christian. My parents oh. didn't even go to the church cause they'd been kicked out. So I was basically uh, the first church I went to, my brother's church had what they called what the kids called bus kids, which is basically just, kids from a black neighborhood that they would bring to church but they were basically they're trying to bring these kids to church to do a good thing but the way they're the only black kids that hit the entire church and the entire church was incredibly white so all these kids like age like 7 to 12 and their parents uh, are basically just seeing like these poor dirty people coming in essentially that's like that's how that's how they viewed them. It's like these there's like, oh, they're well this sounds terrible, but the way it was taught is they're black, so they're poor, and their lives are shit. Like they like they don't have jobs, they don't have parents, they just reproduce as fast as they can. Like there was a lot of weird white supremacy that was incredibly normalized in my church experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's awful. That it
0: was, you know, framed that way or or let to be. Sort of implicitly framed
1: that way. And and no one would speak up. It was just, it was so, it was so weird how normalized all of that was. It was not, it wasn't ever really overt. It's just so like, like, oh, this guy is blue. Oh, this is like a blanket statement of an entire race. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, I, I wasn't, I know there are parts of Christianity that go into um, like the Sons of Ham and trying to find biblical justification to be even more white and even more shitty. Right. Uh, but, um, for the most part, I avoid I avoided the formalized um, versions of that. but for years yeah. I just I yeah. struggled to go to church. I'd struggle to interact. and it was basically just me begging my parents to drop me off at the churches they'd been kicked out of while they did their own like freelance thing at home, developing their own weird theology when I was like fifteen or sixteen. and at that point, I didn't I was no longer a believer. but my parents hated that, they wouldn't let me go anywhere. The only place I was permitted was to go to church because they thought it would set me right. And I accepted and went because that was the only place I was allowed to interact with people my own age. They, everything else was evil, everything else was wrong. They would actually, over the years, my parents would uh, would occasionally just take control of my computer Demand I give over all their password all my passwords, all my personal information, or they would take my computer away forever and never let me go outside again. Which was a threat that they uh, they toyed with a lot and half exercised sometimes. So they would just Jeez. force me to go through and prove, like explain, like, "Hey, who's this person? Is he Christian? It, he's not a Christian. You're not allowed to be friends." May, like you're going to write an email to them saying, "I can no longer, you can no longer be friends with this person. I'm going to watch and make sure you send it." It just at random, they would just jump in and make me prove uh, everything that I was doing was godly, and they would take things away and punish me uh, with hellfire, taking things away. They. It's it's a weird thing to admit, but in all honesty, I had been just completely broken and cowed and had no will to resist, just because they, my dad, was able to make me fear that much and control me that much.
0: I um, I mean that. That is an understandable response to your to your environment. I mean, you're trying to survive within within that context. That's awful. I'm sorry.
1: Thank you. It was. I mean, one of the one of the things that's really started to hit me more and more as I'm as I've been um, well, as I was researching my book and trying to validate my experiences instead of going purely off of half remembered notions and going contacting people in my past to to validate some things. As I as I became more and more self-aware, as I educated myself more, I started to become interested in the role of, of what a teacher is. And um uh, before I met my awesome wife, I uh, I dated a, a woman that was a teacher. And she taught second and third uh, grade children and I actually got to go inside of a school Uh, For the first time I got to see, I got to sit in on classes. I got to meet these kids. I, um, I had a a sugar glider, a flying squirrel as a pet. And I got to, uh, bring the flying squirrel to class to show to these kids for a show and tell, (laughs) which I'd never seen before. I got to meet the other teachers and see and hang out with them outside of school and see what their, see what their lives are like. See how, uh, just to see how they discuss, like, you know, I was dealing with this child today, and I mean, there's somebody complaining, but other, other times, like, like this, this child's parent really stepped up. This child did a great job, and this was an amazing thing. But even, like, their day-to-day struggles, like, I didn't have enough paper to print out all these tests, but for, fortunately, Julie's husband works in an office, and he can get sheaves of paper for free, and that was, like, their source for printing out enough tests for these kids, because they don't make enough money. And it was it was the first time i'd actually seen what the profession of a teacher was in the context of a school and over time the more i dig into homeschooling and see what the curricula are like uh, like different curricula outside of what i've had it's it's interesting to me well in addition to how i view homeschooling also just the nature of boundaries and how yeah i don't think I don't think boundaries can exist in even like an evangelical Christianity practiced as intended. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And having someone that is a combination parent, teacher and moral arbiter who in the context of Christian education it like their job is to eliminate those boundaries and make them invisible so mm-hmm. that they can breed compliance in a sense. Right. And uh, over it's honestly only the last couple weeks that I've realized that, like reading through like exposed Christian schools, exposed Christian homeschooling, seeing what those have in common makes me realize like what a what a an abrogation of responsibility, what a moral violation it is to have someone that is meant to educate the mind and intellect be be plausibly in a position to ask are you having premarital sex? Like or uh, or just even ask what children are like thinking or feeling. Like this is a wrong thing to feel. If you feel this way or do this thing, then uh, the this invisible man in the sky that loves you very much will make sure you burn fucking forever. And mm. two plus two is four. Like it's it's a weird combination of responsibilities that I feel are deeply deeply incompatible. And with a heavy caveat because I've heard enough from. <laughs> From butthurt homeschooling parents, I think anything critical said about homeschooling at all is a personal attack on them, which is, I mean, they're way overselling themselves. I don't think of them at all. (laughs) 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 But um, I I know this is, that's my experience is not universal. I've only had this one particular experience. I've spoken to a lot of people that have very similar experiences, but teaching things like the the promise of education for me was that I would be equipped to deal with real life. That I would understand the kind of problems, that I'd be prepared to understand the kind of problems and trials and tribulations that are going to come at me in life. And that I would be educated to understand how to either prepare and equip myself for those types of situations or understand how to seek other seek out other people with certain, um, with certain skill sets and be able to like bring, like bring those resources to bear. It's been tragic and heartbreaking learning by degrees that I was taught everything wrong deliberately uh, as a spiritual affectation. Mm. And that just the fact that there was a cross on it or the word God or Jesus was literally as much as they needed To prove and to think that, okay, yep, our son's getting a great education. I wasn't taught evolution. I was taught that man and dinosaurs walked in the earth at the same time somewhere because some Christian creationist, Christian creationist scientist, because my God, like all the scholarly studies of the discoveries that they've produced, endless reams and tomes. But I was taught that some creation <laughs> scientist somewhere saw a T-Rex footprint next to a human footprint. So checkmate atheists – it was like two paragraphs covering evolution. It's basically is talking about how stupid and evil people that believe it are. Mm-hmm. It, it, like 20 to 40 percent of my final grade in the high school was uh, memorizing Bible verses. Wow. Uh, if, if I failed that, I would fail high school. Um, it was – it was staggering. They taught me all the wrong things, like the like spiritual warfare, intercession, uh, being slain in the spirit. All this, <laughs> I, in my angrier moments, I think of it as a uh, evangelicalism as a dipshit hillbilly affectation, just because that's how it was conveyed to me. And it's it's difficult coming to terms with the the people whose job it was to set you right and set you on your path through life and keep you alive and did nothing but gaslight, manipulate and hurt me just mm. to keep me compliant. Not, and it's, what I was saying earlier about the swinging pendulum of abuse versus neglect, the, the application of the discipline, the application of these harsh limitations on my experience, what I'm allowed to experience, that's the abuse, but not Caring about the outcome or the result or how I'm actually doing is the neglect and it's It's taken years for me to identify and acknowledge the neglect because it's like It's it's naming a lack
0: Right. Yeah It's that hard to harder impossible to prove a negative and a lack is not the same as a negative, but Exactly. Yeah, it's harder to identify the thing that you didn't know that you didn't get, that you didn't receive that you should have <laughs>
1: Exactly, and that's that is beautifully phrased because that is the perfect springboard. <laughs> um, you know, I just like with, with, with homeschooling. I mean, just even even today, like I was not given the benefit of, under, of understanding evolution or even cause and effect. Mm. Like I was, I was taught that a stomach ache means that I sinned and I'm literally possessed by a demon. Good. good. Sorry, like,
0: that's, that's there's,
1: yeah, wild. <laughs> Actually, you're going to hear some God, God, flabbergasted
0: God. sounds on this side of the call. It's—I
1: mean, what was done to me is unconscionable. It's—it's—it's um, mm-hmm. it's, it's insane that anyone could ever teach these things to a child. Like it was, there's no such thing as being sick. Like that's—you're—you're you're not sick. No one is sick. You're possessed by demons. I've—I—I've I've been through exorcism school. My dad had the had a had a thing. Where um, so he had, uh, had a friend that ran a class on on exercising demons out of people, and he rented uh, it was like the the front two or three rows of a disused church, like on a weeknight. So it's all. I mean, <laughs> Wait, they had they had per row rentals. They could only fill the three rows. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I
0: was like, man, they are they are really they they were way ahead of like all these co working spaces. Holy crap. That's <laughs> a uh, courtesy of
1: Creflo, Nickel, and Dime. <laughs> <laughs> so they would, they would, uh, they'd barely fill like the front of this little church. And of course it's all fucking boomers. Right? Nobody outside of that age group. So, my dad wanted to establish himself as like the the super leading holy guy that is, you know, like I can cast out more demons and this and that and I'm super Jesus awesome. So he, I was 13 at this point and fairly truculent. I was not, I knew things were wrong. I knew I did not have a normal life. I was very resentful of it and at that point I was already working on my escape. But he brought me to the exorcism school just to show, to keep proving to me what is real uh, to him and He volunteered me as an exorcism test dummy. Um, Out of curiosity, have you you, uh, seen that bit in the book? Uh, No, I haven't. I
0: I have not gotten to that that point yet. (laughs) Uh, Actually, (laughs) I think I was I was at that um, at that chapter when I got pulled away to.
1: Do something related to parenting
0: tonight sorry <laughs> <laughs> no no, no, no all,
1: I'm, in all sincerity I'm so grateful that you just you acknowledged my book and have looked at it at all I I feel awkward pushing it I feel awkward promoting no, you, it it's,
0: you absolutely should and I think it's it's important for this for the sort of conversations that are happening over the last few
1: weeks thank you thank you I I, I appreciate that it's finding Finding validation, finding out that I'm not alone has been more valuable than than anything. So I thought it was just me for the longest time.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah. So for the exorcism school, my dad would just take out his frustration on me in a group setting. Oh my god.
0: Was it like so, the airing of grievances or something? Like
1: yes, in festivus I, or something? Yes, except <laughs> for the laying on of hands. So I'm oh, I'm god. surrounded by so many sweaty old people pressing their hands down on me, speaking and Speaking in tongues, which is the stupidest thing. <laughs> it, it if I had to point at one thing in all of Christianity that I thought was absolutely the most stupid, speaking in tongues is absolutely it. I know there's, I know there's historical reference glossolalia. It is, it's, it's not unique to Christianity. Uh, people, you know, having the fits of religious fervor. Mm. I've only seen the the midwestern white mom and dad version of it. Yeah, <laughs> which is. Is is there a, is there a Midwestern mom and dad version of anything that could be considered superior, except for maybe like truck liner? <laughs> but I so I only saw like the, the stupidest silliest parts of it. Um. Uh, just the. Wow, that's that's crazy. That it's the the that the, they all believed it. So my dad would. Sorry, I'm putting my head back in it. Uh, my. My dad would put his uh, giant hand on my forehead, practically grabbing it, and then he'd be just yelling out things that pissed him off about me. It's like, in the name of Jesus, he'd name them like demons. In the name of Jesus, Lord God Almighty. That was actually like his style of (laughs) tongues. It's just like quickly scatting. (laughs) Um, He would say, in the name of Jesus, I command you Talking back to your parents, get out of my son in the name of Jesus, and um and uh getting up later than I like. Get oh my out gosh. of my son, you demon. Oh you name God. lust and pornography because he. Assume, I'm third. Oh. <laughs> you think a thirteen year year old boy is not having twenty four seven constant erections? It's like you only <laughs> got to tell you that, but um, he he you know, he played that card. But uh, yeah, so he he's just assumed that I was whatever. So in the midst of like 10, 15, 20 old people like pressing their hands, sweaty hands into me and speaking in tongues and my dad is yelling. They just kept me like that for what felt like forever. And then finally my dad just ran out of steam and they all stepped back and would smile at me and look at me like like they're waiting to be thanked. Mm. It's like I... It's <laughs> as though they'd done me a favor. So they basically yelled out all of my imagined flaws because I'm a 13-year-old boy that pisses them off and they get to feel like big, awesome prayer Warriors that cast out demons. All, all I got to say is they cast out plenty of demons to, uh, to leave room for euthanasia. Oh, man. That <laughs> is insane. <laughs> I was an example. Like a demon exorcism test dummy just because I pissed my dad off for... Not his. So his the, his big mistake was he was always he always loved technology. He was always interested in business, and he would pitch himself as consultants. And you have to have some kind of like business or technical edge to do so. And he was always an early adopter of technology. Mm-hmm. So I always got his hand-me-down computers, and I had internet access and bolted board access. And because of the swinging pendulum of abuse and over over exertion and control and neglect. When the pendulum swung toward neglect, I learned how to use computer better than he could.
0: Yeah. I want to actually talk about that in particular, because I think that is a really salient um, thread that, that appears in your book is that, that you were able to find these sort of like entry points into broader culture through media. Um, and I know that this is something that, that, you know, this was pre like internet being everywhere. Um, I mean, there was still internet, and all of that was available. But media was was different. You know, you you didn't have all everything on demand all the time. You weren't being like bombarded with media. There was no social networks uh, except for earlier earlier versions like bulletin boards, like you mentioned. Um, so within that context, how was finding things? You you talk about finding like a sort of space that. Was yours in video games and in um, certain types of like science fiction that were considered basically like non-threatening or not evil, even though they weren't explicitly Christian. How did that help you cope?
1: It was you, you know the the saying if you give them an inch they'll take a mile. Um, that was that was my. My kind of my situation. Once I realize that I have access to see things that he doesn't necessarily need to approve, and I can conceal the technological means for doing so, it, it honestly it, it was more of a, um, a spiritual and moral quandary uh, more than it was a technical one. <laughs> just because I, I was taught to you know God can um, read my thoughts, read my mind, read aborted thoughts, like even even just like yeah, an impulse or thinking. There's no such thing as thinking accidentally or an, or an accidental thought, like um, right. pre- pressured, uh, like intrusive thoughts didn't exist. Those are just demons. So I was taught to like self police, like any, any wrong thinking thing or any doubt or any question I was, I was basically trained to just like murder that thought uh, mm-hmm. before it could proceed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had and- to get over that middle block at first, but I, my dad was interested in technology and video games enough to give me an initial interest and it was um, uh, Id Software, and Commander Keen were the first games. that He would uh, and um, Sierra and King's Quest, those were the first games I saw, like a um, like a platformer Mario style, and then um, like a role playing adventure, uh, click uh, click adventure type of game. So he showed me those, and I got in, uh, got involved in those. I had uh, my older brothers are also big into video games, so I got exposed through that as well. And because that was one of my dad's existing interests, even though it wasn't strictly Christian, he permitted it. Because mm, that's mm-hmm. one of the the selfishness carve outs you get is a super holy man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Wolfenstein, uh, Wolfenstein 3D came out, and that was a very violent game. Mm-hmm. And I remember he launched the game, and then there's a demo playing behind the main menu, and it showed a Nazi getting shot in the chest, blood spurting out, and him screaming, My leben! <laughs> and I remember my dad just going, just going, sheet, white as a sheet, <laughs> and just looking at it, and then it was like, down, 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 exit, yes, it's delete. <laughs> <laughs> so I downloaded the game later that day, <laughs> and when the pendulum swung toward neglect, I would play these games in private. And these, so this was this- like
0: Windows 95 or 3.1 when you could hide things in the command line and stuff.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's yeah. that's when you started getting clever. So uh, Doom came out. And the special thing about Doom was that they released the tools they u- developed to make the game to the gamers. So they can make their own art and levels and monsters and weapons for the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the truly genius thing that I think gave birth to the modern video game industry was the company that made Doom licensed the technology they used to make that game to other developers. So instead of b- building all your own technology from scratch over the course of six months to two years, or however long, you just pay a licensing fee, and build your own game on top of it. And and let and the game that you licensed is the best looking game on the freaking planet. And you're basically getting, uh, you're getting a, like a reflected, you uh, reflect the quality off of them by using their engine. Mm-hmm. So since the tools were released for free and people that learned to use those tools and get got really good at making art for those games accidentally developed marketable skills. <laughs> and, and those people would get paid money to relocate all over the world to go start making video games. So I was able to download games for free and train myself to make art for those games. and that, And if I got good enough that a company would pay to rescue me. So that's where I focused absolutely all of my effort and attention. So I, if I got good enough at these tools and made friends and tried to be just decent and honest and good at what I did, I could do contract work, make enough money to save up, get an apartment, then finally get a job and they'll pay me to move somewhere. So I, I realized when I was it was officially when i was 12 years old is when i realized that this is a career path because i I'd, I'd played with art before i'd all i'd been able to get the tools i had access and i saw an uh, issue of pc gamer magazine with a screenshot of one of the tools i used 3d studio max uh, and i realized they use this tool to make video games i can make video games i can do this hmm. it was the february 1997 issue of pc gamer with duke Nukem forever on the cover and that was the moment I realized this is going to be my career. Wow. So I started learning how to use those tools and in joining those communities, I started to get a sense of what they were like and understanding like, okay, these people play these games. They listen to this music. They read these books. How can I get involved? So that's when, uh, that was just before MP3s started being a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right after. So we'd be on like 56 K modem sending like a single MP3, which would take like 20 or 30 minutes. Right. But that, yeah. that was the first time I was allowed to listen to secular music for the first time. Mm. Like I, I feel like for the very first time in my life, because I had online access to like bulletin board systems into the internet event, I know eventually someone finally gave me a boost up to the keyhole and I could see what the world outside was really like for the first time. Wow. So, so I just, I, I decided game development is going to be the thing that gets me out of here, and I'm going to be the best there is at it. So I inve- invested all of my time uh, and spent all my time be- trying to become a game developer. I learned like networking with people, taking tutorials, um, trying to become better, joining communities, joining teams that would uh, like could change all the art in an entire game to be something else for fun. Um, like there was a-, a mod for Quake that um, that completely. Uh, changed it uh, to being an alien game. And of course, it got taken off the internet instantly because Fox. But um, that was the kind of thing that was cool to do. That's how you would prove yourself as an artist and get the attention of a big studio and get hired.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and there were no studios in Oklahoma. Um, ex- actually, interesting, there, there was a studio called 2015 that ended up, uh, that was based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that was like the only, that was the main place I was trying to apply and think of because it was close. Most other game development is on the coasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that team ended up being, uh, it ended up creating a medal of honor and then call of duty oh, after really? they got acquired and moved out West, but they were my target for the longest time. So I, I, I busted ass for years. I've been, I've been making money as a contract artist since I was 12, like hiding my age from people because I was very literate. I did not see my age and I acted like people that were older and I was good enough at the art that people assumed I was five to ten years older. So I, I, I became part of these communities. I wrote tutorials. I became um, like a prominent uh, voice. I marketed myself. Everything that just scared the shit out of me because the only thing that mattered to me was getting out, starting my life, getting away from them, and then surviving. And um, I've been working professionally uh, since I was 16. Wow. My my first game that was published in on store shelves internationally was when I was 16 years old. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, it was. I will never forget the moment that I saw it on the store shelves. This thing that I did, like just in the middle of all the abuse of my parents, in the middle of all the ridiculousness, and them trying to get me to quit the industry. Um, all the everything they tried to do to stop me, I I was able to succeed and push past them. And I held the evidence of it in my hands, and I've I still um, sometimes talk to people that have played the game and remember it fondly, even though it was a tiny little, uh, tiny little nothing game. But it was the first tangible thing that I'd really worked on. And backing up slightly, the the thing that attracted me the most to to art in games is because it's frankly it's not that subjective. It's a very specific technical skill. You can make things look good, but the parameters and requirements. For it are so stringent and so limited by the technology of the day, yeah. Um, and it changes so quickly. The challenges are unbelievable, and it was before there were really good tutorials or documentation on how it worked. It was like the Wild West, right? But at the same time, things either worked or they didn't. There's no way to just say like, "Oh, what a great effort," or "Oh, that's good enough," or "Oh, that's nice." It's the ge- Either the game crashes to your desktop, going, "What the hell did you do?" Or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, I, I clung to that as a source of truth, the, a source of objectivity, a sort like a, in, an input – a system of input and output governed by specific rules that were not subject to the person that was explaining them to me, that was subject to their interpretation or their agenda or their will. It yeah. was just a soulless machine that, ne- that merely required a certain type of input that I could experiment with and learn and get a sense of finesse for. And yeah. I, I devoted myself to just being – I had all the machinery within me to, to worship a thing, to, um, to devote myself to a thing, to define myself by a thing and my relation to it. But when I stepped away from Christianity, like I, I, I took away the thing that fueled that, the, the the reason for all of that apparatus to be there. But all that apparatus still existed, all those mm-hmm. urges, all the, all my my, my pining toward um, toward acceptance, toward achieving something, toward getting something done. Uh, I I, just, I I put all that effort toward games and art and being good at making it work. Yeah. And it it got me out. I moved out on my own when I was nineteen years old after a lot of effort and a lot of pain, and. Um, uh, my, so my parents tried to suppress my career at first until I started making more money than my dad who was a scammer hmm. so from when i was 16 and that game came out and i was actually making not great money i mean barely enough to i don't even think it was you know in Oklahoma it was probably enough to live on if i'd been of age uh, i looked into emancipation i was just close enough that it just wasn't it wasn't worthwhile but well, my parents soon saw me as an income source, so they started because I was under eighteen, just taking my money for themselves and uh, trying to uh, trying to control me and make sure that I never move away, so that I can keep providing for them. Oh, because God. despite their efforts, I ended up being a pretty good earner. Hmm.
0: And it makes I mean, given your given what you had gone through just through your childhood, it, like it makes sense that the video games, which is a lot of a lot of games are games that are referred to as like on rails you know you've got but yeah, you've yeah. also but you've also got independence and the thing about the thing about games is is that you have the ability to have volition and that's what was missing in your life and also yes. to what you were saying um you know you have this the you have clear sets of rules and it's not fickle like your like your father's whims were. Um, so it makes sense that, that video games were both the skill that you could create and a, and an art form that would speak to you so deeply and fill that need. Um, that's that's incredible that you were able to use that as your own sort of sense of providing fulfillment as well as
1: liberation like literal liberation. Thank you. it's It's been a wonderful it's been a wonderful vehicle for me. I um, I didn't. actually I didn't tell people uh, until I was thirty how old I really was. Uh, at that point, I'd been professional for working professionally for fourteen years. But even some of my relat, like I would, my close friends knew how old I was, but most people didn't just because I, I I conducted myself differently and I took great pains to hide how old I was because I would be judged for it. So I I just learned so. What's kind, of, kind of weird now is I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I'm like five to ten years ahead of my peers. Mm. And um, I'm, I've also found in retrospect that the game industry ended up being a, a, a similar quasi-authoritarian abusive type of situation. But it was so keyed into to what I needed at the time that it was the perfect thing. I see it's something to be religious at. Yeah. Without,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The gaming, the Gamergate in 2014, you know, everything, Ugh. everything yeah. is, everything, like all online harassment is sort of seen through the filter pre and post Gamergate now. Um, But, but, I, yeah. So, I mean, the gaming industry has reputations for being problematic in different areas, but that doesn't, it's a, it's a huge industry. It's bigger than Hollywood. So,
1: it's staggering.
0: Yeah. So it's um. There's there's got to be a lot of opportunities for both health and abuse. So that it's unfortunate that you landed in 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 another sort of bad environment, but I'm glad it, that it got me where I needed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I I felt myself more and more uh, able to uh, rise to those challenges and equip myself against that. Uh, that sort of thing and mm-hmm. I'm actually in a great situation now I'm working I, I, I work for a tech company outside of the game industry but I service the game industry and I've been able to work from home um, I don't have any of the same stresses I feel I feel respected um, yeah that's great uh, I, I feel valuable I get to travel a lot for work which is really fun I after this many years I finally found a stable point that wasn't just trying to trying to continue the survival mode, the mm-hmm. desperate survival mode that I started when I was trying to get out of, mm-hmm. uh, get out of my help. Cause honestly the, the desperation to get out the, that never really tapered off. Cause I was always afraid, like what if the one thing I'm putting 130% effort into is the only thing that makes any of this work? Mm. Cause I don't really have a lot of, I don't have a lot of like history to look back on or a lot of experience to understand how those sort of, things can work um it's to 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 some degree just coming from a homeschooling background absolutely everything i do every day is just pants fillingly terrifying Hmm. because i was taught to fear the world and fear everyone in it yeah everyone out there everyone's out to murder me everyone's out to kill us everyone hates everyone hates christians all the way and just you gotta band together Mm -hmm. my my dad used to say um uh, we're dead under the we're dead to the world and alive unto Christ, which is a bastardization of a scripture I found out later. But any time that he would be rejected from like his uh, like kicked out of a church or rejected by friends or family that realized he was like an abuser or manipulator or any anytime I'd have like a, a heartbreaking social interaction that made me remind me of how broken and shitty I am. You just say, remember, you're we are dead under the world and alive under Christ and use that as a justification. Like the more the world hates us, the bigger the boner Jesus has for what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> to, to, to be coarse, I mean, that was I mean, that was basically the thing. The more people hate us. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that in the kind of alt-right type stuff today. Right. But, um,
0: yeah, Definitely. We definitely there's there's a lot of commonality there between those those responses of yes, we're being persecuted that means we're we're doing the right thing instead of like having a modicum of self-reflection and, and thinking, thinking about what, why are people reacting this
1: way towards what we're doing? Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly that's I mean that's why the, uh, the yeah that's why the the QAnon uh, Facebook groups on Thanksgiving are so funny and sad <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Sort of conversations that have broken through in different different ways, Um, that is really tied specifically to two hashtags. One be the first one being exposed Christian schools, and the second related one being exposed Christian homeschooling. Just prior to those breaking through and starting to trend in the United States, you wrote a really moving Twitter thread about your upbringing, and then you brought that into that exposed christian homeschooling conversation as well like the the subsequent week um i want to hear from you just what you think is really important about this conversation happening and why these things need to be highlighted so that folks understand that there are children like that are going through similar things that you
1: did it's thank you. I um writing that story. was really, really difficult because there's, I've had to make up for my own lack of education to such a degree. I have to, I uh, have to, with so little experience in life or with people, I have to learn like what kind of information do I prioritize? Like how, how do I learn how to be somebody? So like, music and media is was one big way. A career is another big way. Being active at the church or be active like socially is another way. I'm I'm frequently almost crippled by it's a combination of fear of missing out and fear of not applying my attention to the right sorts of things that I need to be learning. Because, like, one of my big um, one of my big insecurities growing up was music and my inability to relate to people on music. Because it, when you're when you're young, and you're learning how to be. I realize now in retrospect, um, you're trying to stake a claim on being a person, and when you've been denied personhood and agency for so long, the the baby steps are just it's it's a, it's a, it's embarrassing and kind of tragic like i like oh my god i for example like i didn't, i never heard u2 until i was like 24 25 years old i mm-hmm. uh, just it never came up it wasn't a part of my normal media it wasn't a part of my experience most other people have experienced things passively over a longer period of time i did not have that luxury right. so when i feel like the the crush of like people saying like you've never listened to YouTube. What what the fuck is wrong with, are you retarded? Like like, quote unquote, that's not a term I like using. That's why I've been called. Um, Just the, just being viciously mocked for not having something in common. Like even to, even tonight, like a a couple hours ago, um, someone mentioned the name of a band I didn't recognize. And I, I, I didn't realize they're referring to music. I was just completely blank trying to figure out from context. What this person was talking about. And he said, Oh, Oh, that's right. I, I forget that you don't know any music and he wasn't being rude about it. He wasn't trying to be rude. Uh, it's, it's, it's usually not out of rudeness, but it's just, it, it stings so fucking much just I, being the one person in the room that everybody is thinking about the, you're in my mind, just imagining, how could this person get to this stage in, in life and not know something as basic as this? And the, the crippling fear of missing out is like, okay, when I encounter that, does that mean I listen to everything YouTube two has ever done and become an ultra fan in a short amount of time? Do I write this off and just hope it doesn't come up again?
0: Mm-hmm. How do
1: I even begin to prioritize these kind of thing these kinds of things that I've run into and how do I how do I apply like a, a weight to how important they are? Yeah. Like is is learning how to interact in a classroom environment more important than having a deep understanding of the back catalog of Madonna? I don't fucking know. I have no <laughs> way of knowing. Right. I, I enjoy them both now. I think they're great. Uh, I've I managed to kind of like passively get that sort of thing. But occasionally I'll get like a well-meaning person that tries to like get me caught up or tries to say, oh, no, trust me, you'll you'll recognize this. <laughs> you'll, you'll recognize this when you hear it. Uh, I never do, and that that only makes me feel worse. So, just so many moments in my life like that. Even, in the video game industry, my my chosen career. I'm 18 years into this industry now, uh, professionally. Uh, I've I never had a Nintendo. There, like I haven't played the original like Mario or Zelda games because my dad thought Nintendo was evil. I even in my own industry, I lack so much of like the common history of. of Everybody and I just have to kind of like smile or leave the room or pretend and not draw attention to myself when Mm -hmm. all of it it, to me, because of how sensitive I am to this 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 lack, it seems like everybody is just sort of bathing in nostalgia. Just like, isn't it great remembering all these things we had in common? Like or remember how cool it was to like you're like this class in high school or this sort of thing, or like um days and confused the movie just brings me to tears just for, I never had an experience of like a bunch of kids going to a party. I yeah. didn't have peers, I didn't have friends, I didn't know anybody growing up. I don't have these, there's so many parts of pop culture in media that have like this nostalgia for very specific situational circumstances and experiences mm-hmm. that they all seem to harken back to, especially in popular media, like a, oh. Exposed Christian schools, exposed Christian homeschooling. One of the um, things I saw come up, someone was asking if, if, if kissing booths are real. That is, I've seen kissing booths in so much media. Like, uh, I mean, like, a, like Boy Meets World, uh, or like you know, sitcoms from the 90s, uh, Touched by an Angel. Just like, My only view of the outside world in many circumstances is what I was able to sneak watch on TV when my parents didn't lock it down or weren't. Uh, we're trying to like cloister me off to, for their spiritual affectation. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, being able to relate to small things like that with people is so important and so makes you feel so isolated and alone and wrong. Like as a state of being mm-hmm. wrong, you are wrong. Mm-hmm. The way you are is wrong. Like you're not actively doing anything. It's just your, your existence. is wrong. It's wrong to everybody like why are you this way it's your fault it's not my fault obviously but no one's going to give me the benefit of the doubt nobody's going to give me a chance that's why i've spent my entire life hiding that sort of thing perhaps overzealously perhaps unnecessarily but the thing that i found the most in ellen finding what like finding you finding chris Stroop, finding Johnny Scaramanga, finding the ex-evangelical uh, hashtag finding these hashtags, these communities, I've been able to find not exactly belonging because it's, it's. I mean, this is more rehab than community, I think, still, which is fine. Great yeah, that, stage. that's
0: that's a that's a fair, uh, you know, that's 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 fair, I think, uh, because a lot of people are still they're at different stages, and and it's it it can often be like a transitional thing, and the other the other element is is that like there's no expectation of some sort of dogmatic unity or that great you know, point or that you have a, or that you make this about your entire life like evangelicalism expects you to uh, like submit everything to that lifestyle you know i joked on yes. twitter the other day <laughs> uh, that it w- evangelicalism was the real alternative lifestyle all along <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: if that isn't your pen to tweet, uh, <laughs> I, I recommend.
0: I should. I should. I should make it that.
1: It's, it's um, a tremendous point. There's, there's no expectation to devote your life to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I've, I've, I've had my own difficulties in like it, getting involved in the community because I was trying to try that hard. Like thinking, like, oh, this is, this is the the purpose, the cause, the the thing I devote my life to. I, I those, yeah. are, those are there's like the bare minimum terms I'm used to thinking.
0: Sure, absolutely, so, and that's what we were. That's how we were taught to frame things. Um, but really, it's it's not. It's about an acknowledgement of our commonalities more than and like, and it being both a repudiation of the where we came from and an affirmation of the things that we were told to condemn. Um, But then, you know, a a lot of the things about what you, what you think about, whether there's a God or, or whatever else, you know, that is of much lesser importance um, because, you know, people are going to make their own decisions about that. But the more important thing is, is that we can find other people that have similar experiences, even if they're, even if they're not exact, you know, there's people that can relate and that in a lot of ways is powerful,
1: powerful in and of itself. It's, it's incredible. Just even something as slight as someone remembering like the, the goofy cartoon characters that accelerated Christian education used and all their terrible curricula, uh, or Hey, remember this jars of clay song flood? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, like remember, like remember when DC Talk switched to rap, then to alternative. But well, <laughs> when they know that I'm a Jesus brick, like right. Uh, just even, even things like that, just like a tiniest bit of commonality of. Oh sure. I I, I right. I'd, bas- I'd mentally written off the entire concept of having any sort of culture or people or anything, basically ages zero through nineteen, mm-hmm. being able to have anything like a look back on that anyone would not only remember but relate to and not just look at as either something pathetic or something I'm joking about. Just the, the, the tiniest bit of validation. Someone else has felt this. Someone else has gone through this. Someone else has felt a similar, a similar type of thing. It's not all one-to-one, but it's all the same kind of thing. And I – I, it made me feel like I, I suddenly found that I actually do have, like, a high school class that I can – email or meet with and just like, right. Oh shit, that's right. It's our 15 year high school, whatever. And we just found each other again. Yeah. And just the having any Roman aspect of that life, uh, that life understood by anybody else made me feel so much more validated and understood and being. And yeah, the, awesome. the one, the one quote that after I understood the the healthy things I can get out of this without my natural inclination to be like, involve yourself 150%, do all the things the the one phrase that, that really set me free. I got to say, I, I, I wish I could remember where I got this. You are not responsible for fixing the system that failed you. Hmm. That, that set me free, even in even in the midst of my book. Like I didn't I'm still under I'm still trying to define the relationship I wanna have with the with the religion, with where I am, with what I've been through. I'm not terribly interested in learning what's new about it, like in regards to what they're teaching themselves in the culture. Yeah. I'm I don't think I have the mental or emotional energy to like debate or fight just I, I I honestly I like after I'm I'm greatly enjoying this with you, but I'm probably gonna take like a a day or two like off of Twitter for the most part just with a like a an emotional hangover just sure. to you yeah. deal with this. Since I have to so I have to plumb up. So I'm the the community and the hashtags will give me a better idea of how I relate, how I want to relate, and the 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 connection I want to I want to have um, yeah. with with these things with right. the understanding that. I'm I'm, I'm not being conscripted. It's not an army. It's not like no. you can have a cause <laughs> that isn't taught to you as like literally God's army. Army imagery. Did out uh, curiosity, did did you ever get any of like the U.S. military imagery in the, in your experience? Um, I w- so,
0: like I I went to fairly moderate churches, um. Like, you know, United Methodist Churches Where a lot of evangelical influence Entered into my life was like through youth group material And other things like that And eventually also I chose to go to an evangelical college um, But there was always like, you know Veneration of the military The The U.S. flag was always up alongside the Christian flag At whatever church we went to um, Oh, God,
1: the Christian flag, I forgot that
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> Uh, and then, I mean, there wasn't a uh, there wasn't a ton, there wasn't a ton, but it would usually be on like like Memorial Day or Labor Day or Veterans Day, um, those those sorts of things where where it would be made to be some sort of metaphor for for something you know dodgy. <laughs> uh, Interesting. And um, that that would probably be a little different at like my grandparents' church um, because they were a small. Like uh, independently run Like sort of de facto Baptist church In southern Indiana um, So that had some different cultural Indiana is a weird place uh, It's sort of hard yes. to describe um, We so... have the half
1: hour Daylight savings time zone offset for one thing
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, there's three There's three time zones in, in... There's three? Yeah <laughs> uh south bend like the south bend gary like the area just um close to chicago goes with chicago then there's a big part in the center uh and then there's the southern part uh so it's insane it's a crazy Quacky. place there's no reason for it <laughs> <laughs> anyways that's that's a funny tangent but but anyways so like the military connection wasn't huge um but it was present
1: interesting like i that, that's one of the other things I found fascinating about getting involved like in the hashtags of seeing other people's experiences. Like I, I had um, a very like, we are God's army, like type of experience. Like they do like ritual, like military marches and enchanting uh, and, and songs. Yeah. It was very like wrote and really right. drilled into us. But at the same time, we, uh, I, I know that other people have had different experiences in um, accelerated Christian education. For example, there was like a lot of fetishization of Israel in Israel worship, whereas in other aspects of evangelical Christian education, that is uh, uh, alarmingly the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's but seeing like the 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 gradients between all like all these beliefs, uh, like we're uh, so like speaking in tongues, slaying the spirit, dancing, was that like did that factor in much to your experience? Um,
0: I had more exposure to that in uh, in college, and that there were a couple of like. So my I went to a Christian college, Indiana Wesleyan. My second year, I was a floor chaplain because that was a thing in the dorms. Um, and there was a wow. Very, there was so a, that like an RN
1: or a different uh, no? Team? It was
0: like a different. So there was an uh, there was an RA for the floor. R- but then RA, was, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, there was an RA for the floor, but then there was also a floor chaplain, which was and then. There were six floors in my dorm, so there was six cha- floor chaplains and one like dorm chaplain. It was insane. Wow. Um, so, anyways, I would I ran a couple of like Bible studies, and then they sort of got taken over by this charismatic group, um, and that that was sort of the the speaking in tongues sort of thing. I my uh. family also went to um, my family also growing up. We would every year we would go on these mission trips to the same area outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And we'd help build um we'd help build houses for a um, poverty stricken community. Oh wow. Well. Um and we would always partner. So it was a little different in that it was like short term missions have come under fire, legitimately so. This was more of like a annual partnership with the same organization. We stayed at the same church and it was an it was a African Methodist Episc- Episcopal Church and AME Church and their style of worship is way different um, and so I saw more sort of praise oriented sometimes there would be like anointing oils and things but it would there would never be like the Midwestern white uh, speaking in tongues you mentioned before <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> so, the, it... so that was a totally like separate cultural experience that was like my experience of being in being the minority in an in an area for the first time, you know, and having that exposure once every year um, had a different type of effect on me. but so tongues was always I don't know, like Methodists um, are fairly emotionally repressed, emotionally repressed <laughs> um and you know that like my my family wasn't big on. Um, you know, a, a motion to begin with. So. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: I I know exactly what you mean. That's just an, an exquisitely funny and telling way of phrasing it.
0: <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's a Midwestern thing. You know, what's the, there's that, uh, I, I forget. It might be like John Mulaney or another comedian that has a bit about, you know, like Irish, Irish people and they're, you know, your son dies and they're just like, bury him, bury the boy, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't cry, you know, and it's like, uh, that, that, that's an element. Um, anyways, yeah,
1: when I heard it, that's
0: a, that's a different well, tangent though. So
1: like, well, so that's a fascinating example of like the, the difference of experience, uh, even oh, for though we're sure. like, we're part of the same world. I never would have known that of that kind of difference, or I never knew short-term missions were a thing. In my experience, it was just a bunch of white assholes that wanted to go to Costa Rica that wouldn't feed people till they gave them Bibles.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's. I mean, like Corey Pig, the field missionary, and like Jamie, the very worst missionary. Those are people that have like that's what they talk about in their work because I did not know so, about those
1: guys. Those names are amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're um. Yeah, Jamie Wright. She's she's a great uh, writer, and she she wrote a book called The Very Worst Missionary. It's another like spiritual memoir, similar to yours. Um And nice. um, yeah, and then Corey Pig has his own podcast project too. So uh, so yeah, missions is a, is a whole other thing, and it's not something that I have a ton of experience in. But um, but yeah, that is a big part of it. It's like tourism for for um, well-meaning but maybe not so well-meaning Christians.
1: <laughs> Seriously. Like so. I, one of the, uh, one of my, one of the two friends I had growing up, um, his younger sister wanted to be a missionary. She went to Costa Rica, did the whole, um, like spiritual colonialism thing and yeah. wanted to make that a big part of her life. And that's one of the well, only
0: things women are really allowed to do in some evangelical circles too, is be a missionary. Because you couldn't teach a another white person, but you could teach someone of a different race. You know, that sort of <laughs> so seriously. The, there's a lot of the there's a lot orders. of like white supremacy and just racism uh, there that that just goes unspoken.
1: Seriously, it's like the I I know exactly what you mean. It's like, well, you may be a woman, but at least you're white. It's it's so weird how. Yeah. Well. Anyway, fortunately, she uh, she ended up uh, breaking away from the church and becoming a lesbian, and so I'm glad that she I, I'm glad she broke away from that entire thing, that <laughs> that hellish life. Which, what's, what's funny was that was like a, a family full of homeschoolers. They all turned out like really not at all like they intended.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was the only. Actually, they were my only fr- homeschooling friends uh, growing up. I remember I got a, I got baptized. Uh, in their above ground pool. Oh, okay. The uh, the say the um uh, the chlorine burned my eyes. I remember that very vividly. <laughs> oh <laughs> was having any kind of like homeschool friends growing up to validate some kind of experiences with something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you one other question about about like the hashtag and especially this the response that we've seen to it. There's been a lot of you know hand wringing. Oh. In a lot of conservative outlets, including <laughs> Fox News, um, The Daily Caller, Matt Walsh did an entire podcast about it. Um, all these people uh, decrying what's being said in the hashtag, both exposed Christian schools in particular, and as well as exposed home- Christian homeschooling. What, what is your read on that? As someone who is, I. Who is a survivor? Who I mean, you literally survived your your education and and those first nineteen years of your life. Um, what is your sort of read on the way it's being portrayed and reacted to? Uh, with once it sort of broke out into this wider area of media
1: media coverage. I feel like it's very reflexive knee jerk reactive and there any story that doesn't quote Chris droop for having started the hashtag in the first place is journalistic malpractice mm-hmm. yeah um, it's I, I I don't really feel like we have been fully fairly covered yet it's if you're not gonna talk to the people that are like the contrary voice uh, of of this entire thing then what 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 are you doing? Why are you writing? You're you're like you're a propagandistic outlet essentially. Mm-hmm. It's um it, it's been it's been dismaying just to see the the lack of interaction, the lack of of contact, um just the lack of respect for like for our side of things. Because frankly, I would say that you and I mo- know more than most people that are cur- <laughs> I know that a lot of people that are currently in the system or 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 have been. Because we've seen like the full spectrum of mm-hmm. right, of shittiness <laughs> of um, how of how bad things can be, how twisted they can get, even with the best of intentions, we understand like the 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 cumulative effects of that, and I think that those are worth listening to. And I, I think it's really frustrating to be dismissed as a uh, just as a as a blindly hateful anti-Christian whatever. It's like no, I've I've typed the Bible fifteen times by hand because I was forced into this. I know most of these things better than the people that are arguing it with me. It's, I'm hoping that over time more, uh, more voices will, uh, will, will rise up and more nuance will enter the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not blindly like anti-Christian or anti-hate or, 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 or pro-hate or just like, Christians are the worst. It's just, That's what I am the most familiar with because I literally grew up in that world and it's the thing that I can speak the most accurately to. I think most people are too defensive about that. I understand it's your religion. It's who you are. And they have fanciful ideas about, uh, criticism actually adding up to something. Yeah. Um, like some physical, tangible kind of thing. Right. Yeah. That's well said.
0: Well, John, I'd, I'm so thankful that, that we got to talk and cover a lot, of, a lot of your life. I still feel like we really just scratched the surface and there's tons of things that we could continue to talk about. Um, but I, I want to I be respectful of your time. I know that, that we're talking later and you're at a later time zone than I am actually. So um, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think that, that we should uh, close with? Or anything close with. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a church thing. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I, I'd say the. I, I'd say the main thing is, you're not you're not alone. There are other people out there with your experience. Everything can get better. Uh, if if you feel the need for like for self harm or suicide, it's not necessary. And there are people that will help you. I understand. I've been there too. Um, there, there is hope there is help there is love there is a world outside of that
0: mm. wow yeah thank you for sharing that where can people find you online where can they find your book
1: I am uh, at J-O-N J-O-N-E-S on Twitter uh, John Jones I have uh, johnjones.com and my book is How I Escaped Evangelical Hell and it is available on Amazon Kindle and uh, in paperback on Amazon
0: awesome John, thanks so much for sharing your story with me and for talking.
1: Like, thank you so much for everything you've done to help give us a voice. Thank you for taking the time for me. And just I, I, I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your voice. We are very lucky to have you.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank
1: you so much.